standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here. Happy Thursday, day four of our special week of interviews with men because it's International Men's Day and also because lots of them do have valuable things to say. So if you haven't already caught them, we have already put out three podcasts this week. Mickey and I went to speak to the brilliant Patterson Joseph at the Old Vic, where he is about to appear in Jack Thorne's version of A Christmas Carol. On Tuesday, we released a podcast where Jen and I went to speak to the BBC's George Alagaya, and we had a great chat. He is possibly, I don't know, I haven't met them all, but I'm going to say possibly one of the world's loveliest men. Yesterday, Mick spoke to comedian Rich Wilson about men's mental health and his brilliantly titled podcast insane in the men brain seriously round of applause for that one mate so that brings us to thursday i'm going to tell you what that is in a second but i am going to tell you that those other podcasts are there in our feed just waiting for you if you press subscribe which you should you will also get the podcasts that are going to arrive later this week and what we've got coming up is jen having a chat with cold war steve i know Jen again and having a chat with the poet Lem Sisse and in our final chops of the series Mickey is talking to businessman Dan Atkins about his incredible new project Buses for Homeless. You could probably work out what that is and it is a really valuable project. So bringing you back to today Thursday so we've been talking a lot recently if you listen to us you'll know this but just a reminder that politics has become very very male and very toxic in the last few years and we suddenly thought you know what we should get some blokes in to talk about that and ask them what they make of it so we went to two of the most reasonable guys we know Femi Olawoli from Our Future Our Choice and the brilliant Chris Addison who you all know as a comedian as a writer as an actor and we said to them hey what the hell do you make of what's going on right now and they were very interesting very knowledgeable and also very funny so you can enjoy that now you're welcome Hi, we are joined by two great guests. Our first guest is political activist, co-founder of Our Future, Our Choice, and patron saint of Patiently Explains People at the Side of the Street, <laughs> Femi Olawole. Hey. Femi, last time we spoke, which was February this year, you said you could still see a future in which Brexit didn't happen. So if you could say something equally positive now, I'm 100% <laughs> here for it. The future is positive that Brexit doesn't happen, only if... We vote tactically and young people show up to vote because in 2017, the majority voted for parties that were against a hard Brexit. I mean, if you, the Labour, the Lib Dems, the SNP, they got a majority of the vote. So if we were on proportional representation right now, we would already be having a referendum. Earlier this year, within the European elections, again, 54.5% voted for those pro-referendum parties. So if we do the same again, we're safe. But we have to vote tactically. That's the point. Because it is my absolute fear that the majority vote for parties that are against Brexit and yet we still leave because we vote, didn't vote tactically. Yeah, well, this is a difficulty in treating a general election as a referendum, exactly. essentially, because people are going to start talking about other stuff, yeah. aren't they? Can I ask you, the last few months in particular mm-hmm. in British politics have been absolutely relentless. Do you have to step away from it for the good of your mental health? Do you actually get a break from it ever? Uh, so I make a rule that when I come to London, I, I usually, uh, in, order to, in order to get back back home, I have to take like a seven o'clock train because that's when the first off-peak one is. I usually get home around 11 o'clock. 
I make a rule that I have to have at least an hour of FIFA and an hour of Netflix just to <laughs> de-stress, otherwise I would go insane. Yeah. Um, uh, but living in Birmingham was the biggest step I took for mental health because last year I was in London for nine months and it was just too intense. I had to step away. Well, that seems incredibly sensible. I'm also joined by Jen. Hello, Jen. Hi. And finally, our bachelor number two is comedian, <laughs> writer, director and here to answer for the sins of all straight white men. No, stop it. We love you. Mr. Chris Addison. I'm happy to take that role. We're really sorry. I mean, not enough of us are sorry, but some of us are sorry. We're working on the others. You've been involved in political comedy for a a really long time. So tell me, how many times a week are you asked about the death of satire? Not that many. Usually what happens is that people tweet going, come on, there must be another series as I think of it in this, to which we always reply, under no circumstances. <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it? Because it's sort of a truism now that everything is so batshit that there is no, there's no means of satirising it. Nobody's found a, a good way of satirising it. I think the closest you get is when, rather than exaggerating things, is people pointing out the, the truth of stuff. I think that's that's when the the best satire works is when people actually sort of minutely take apart the things that are that are happening because they they everything that we experience at the moment is in such sort of it, it, it's coming so fast and the colors are so bright and it's impossible so it just needs somebody to stop stop some of the things that are passing us by and just take them apart and show us what it is and I think that's where satire lies but I don't think satire's quite found its feet in this weird weird age we were talking the other day about about Trump and the um I mean, it wasn't sharks with lasers, but it was crocodiles <laughs> yeah. in moats at Mexico. And it seemed so yeah. just insanely funny, but really depressing at the same time. But insanely funny that you do sort of wonder where how, how you satirize a world in which that's actually the, what's happening. But I think your point is correct. I mean, the, the best thing you can do in terms of commentary right now is by contextualizing things. Yes. Showing how ridiculous it is that one thing happened given everything that's gone before it. For example, mm-hmm. Boris Johnson shutting down Parliament in order to restore parliamentary sovereignty. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. That's utterly nuts. Yeah. I think that, that what's interesting to me about this is that it's all about norms, right? And how we um, feel like we should, or, or how we always felt like we should behave. So there were some things that you couldn't do, were there? When you know, when we were younger, if if some of the things that Johnson's doing now, if like say say, so you what, have as to we're say how many this, children you have, for yeah. example. <laughs> well, just to pick an example at random. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable for for all sorts of reasons. That's reasonable. Just yeah. on a human level, it's reasonable. But if you wish to be the chief executive of the country, you have to demonstrate some degree of straight, you know, playing things straight, and that's clearly not what he's doing but we would he would have been torn apart for that wouldn't he in in the old days but now none of that seems to matter to people and the interesting thing to me is that the only norms that have survived are the ones that have been codified in other words the law so that's why eventually if you try and prorogue parliament people like us can go why the fuck are you doing other people go hey 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 this is perfectly reasonable and it's only it's only a matter that you can actually take before the courts and go guys is this okay that you can actually sort of bring a, a norm to bear. Everything else, it's all gone. All of the anchors have been have been sawn off. Yeah, yeah. They're floating. So somebody recently suggested, "What? Why? Why don't I become prime minister?" And my response was, "I haven't taken nearly enough drugs, printed enough lies, publicly insulted enough races or cultures, ordered enough journalists to be beaten up, rugby tackled enough ten year olds, lied to <laughs> enough monarchs, undermined enough constitutions, or bothered enough swine to qualify." Uh, you missed <laughs> one. You haven't. Uh, I'm. I assume you haven't been like stuck hanging upside down from a zip. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can work on that one. Okay. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? Because this is the, one of the things that really annoys me about this is this is the party that, you know, didn't want gay marriage uh, when, when mm-hmm. we're talking about the Tories because it undermined the traditional British family. Mm-hmm. And yet Boris Johnson mm-hmm. in number 10 with his girlfriend, with yeah. his, like, how many kids has he got? Around it. I really can't because you're right. Like, but that, if you're basically saying that you are kind of, I mean, it's sort of bollocks because we all know it's not true anyway and it's never been true. But if your job is like you're kind of like almost the moral mm. anchor yeah. Yeah. of or the sort of bastion of what should be like true and right and whatever, but you're just like rubbing it in our faces. Like, you're yeah. not even trying to hide it. No. You're just taking the piss. It's, like, it's similar to Trump. I mean, Trump's supposed to be the lead figure for the Bible Belt in America, yet he's had tons of affairs, brags about well, yeah. harassing women, etc. But that is kind of the thing. There isn't any morality there anymore. No. I mean, the thing I generally find the most upsetting thing about Trump is he genuinely appears to want to sleep with his daughter, which mm. I, I find very, very upsetting. Um <laughs> I think that's a that's a very reasonable <laughs> mind expressing yeah. yourself there. I say on this podcast, you know, say what you ca- say what you like about my dad. He didn't do that. And again, I would say, say what you like about my dad. He wasn't that guy. We talk a lot on this po- podcast about the macho nature of mm. politics at the moment, or certainly political debate. You know, Trump, Putin, mm. Bannon, Cummings, Piers Morgan. There's a huge amount of dick swinging going mm-hmm. on and you know from a feminist perspective it's quite easy to look at it and think that this is just the last ditch proper full-on lie down in the supermarket aisle paddling your feet temper tantrum of a certain sort of masculinity that mm. didn't want gay marriage didn't want a black president wants to be able to pinch a woman's bum without repercussions mm. obviously i'm oversimplifying you know but am i my worry is that I think there's definitely an element of that I think people meet progress at different rates so there are some people who are more attuned to the way that you know the direction that things are going in and are happy happier to go along with with that and there are some people who for whatever reason there's a, a myriad of reasons sort of kick against it so there's definitely an element of that and there's there's definitely an element of the people who have have throughout their entire lives and through most of history not being questioned on the fact that they are the ones in power and they have the upper hand in society desperately trying to hold on to the toys that are being taken away from them but I think there's something else which is that for various reasons we've entered into this what's not what we sort of as a shorthand we call it the culture wars but really what it is is everybody screaming at each other i mean i'm as guilty as anybody else about this i, I get incredibly intemperate i respond on a hair trigger to what i consider terrible injustices and lunatic thinking on twitter or wherever and we're all we, we all have a tendency to get caught up in that and it's a very masculine approach to things because it's just shouting it's combative and it's shouting so that the means of communication has a very male feel to it Mm. the style of communication that we find ourselves in has a very male feel to it and i think it's part so i I think it's partly what you're saying hannah and i think it's also just partly that everything that we do now is shoved through that kind of male that particularly male form of communication i mean there have always been mostly male forms of communication but that's so uber macho in its in its sort of oppositional nature i spoke to heidi allen turns out about a week before she stood down i'm not taking responsibility for that Mm. um i'm not sure it was me that tipped her over the edge and we were discussing like basically how male brexit feels Mm. you know and partly because it's led 
by men, or it certainly lacks a prominent female voice. There is no Anne Widdicombe. There's no <laughs> there's no Gina Miller equivalent. There's no Joanna Cherry. Again, Anne you know. <laughs> but also because it's it's kind of it's it's very angry, isn't it? And like you say, yeah. it's a very male emotion. Uh, that's certainly how it feels on Twitter. Femi, you actually spent some time out talking to members of the general public. Is that how it feels? when you interact with people on the street. I think it's really, really important to... Again, this is an overgeneralization to avoid a generalization, but still. There are two halves to Brexiteers, to Brexit. There's the practical Brexiteer and the ideological Brexiteer. There are some people that wanted Brexit because they felt it would practically make their lives better. That after a generation of watching nothing in their area, watching London get richer while nothing comes to their area, be it Hull, Swansea, Redcar, Sunderland... They wanted things to change and they wanted practical outcomes from it. And then you've got your ideological Brexiteer who voted purely based on the ideology primarily around control, returning things to back how they used to be. Now, that does have a strong male element to it. I mean, if you're saying we were, um, things were better in the olden days and you're talking about pre joining the eu i mean come on uh, that is not the there's not that's not the <laughs> the best time of our, of our society could be racist and sexist <laughs> yeah. it was just a nicer time wasn't it yeah yeah and there was a three-day week you didn't have to work <laughs> it was great and but yeah you're right it, it is led by uh strong men it's led by people like well farage trump boris johnson the idea that just being a macho for the, i mean it is part of populism the idea of we've got to get stuff done regardless of what that actual thing is. I mean, getting stuff done... I mean, people talk about getting Brexit done. It means spending the next 10 years negotiating with the EU and America. That's what it is. It's not getting anything done, but at least you've got one stage of the process done, yeah. which starts the whole thing. But the idea of, well, I'm a man, I'm getting stuff done, that is a very, very macho way of looking at things. The interesting thing to me about about those three figures that you named, Farage and Johnson and Trump, is that they're only... They're sort of... The idea of them being strong men, I don't think it's as simple as that because I don't think they're strong men. I mm. think each of them is quite weak in their mm-hmm. in, in their own way. I think they they're all tremendously insecure in their in, mm-hmm. in their own ways. But they're projecting what what they think is what a strong man would be. It's like somebody has described a strong man to them and they've drawn the strong man <laughs> yeah. and that's the mask that they're that they're yeah. wearing. It doesn't feel like it, it doesn't come from a place of truth, and you don't believe any of those people when you when you see them speak. And it might, that might be my, you know, that's confirmation bias on my part, isn't it? Because I, I don't want to believe the things that those people are saying. So I'm, I'm, I'm bound to sort of view them in that, in that light. But nonetheless, it is striking to me that actually we have pantomime strong men rather than actual strong so to, men. But so to a certain extent, that is kind of what you expect from that sort of toxic masculinity, that it's rooted in insecurity. Obviously, mm. Donald Trump has this has skin thinner than paper. Boris Johnson, again, we, 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 there's some funny clips of him getting particularly angry. Nigel Farage, you've hit the clips on more of him getting angry. These are not people without their, that, that lack insecurities. No. Yeah. They're pretending to be strong men, and it's working. They are. It's interesting because Putin, I mean, I think he maybe he has evolved a bit recently, but when Putin first turned up, he really like struck me. Pokemon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he really struck me as like Mussolini. Like, because yeah, yeah. he, I mean, he had a lot of the same ideas, like mad ideas, like if you have a baby, I'll give you a telly, which was a very sort of Mussolini wow. kind of plan. But he was always taking his shirt off and digging in fields and yeah. stuff, that He's kind of favorite. projection as like a bear, strong. Bear back on a horse. Yeah. Do you, did you see him do that? My favourite one. With which, the wolf? That my, no, I don't know the wolf one. What's the wolf Have one? Have you not seen there's a photo of him like sitting with a wolf? Oh, that's no, so No, because I've got. 
I've got a Vladimir Putin calendar that, that was <laughs> for the second year in a row that was sent to me by a Russian friend of mine. Who, we don't know if it's a joke or not. We don't, we don't know if he's like, you know, I'm, I'm into this or like, oh, this is funny, isn't it? But I've never seen the wolf picture. My favourite was when he went diving and... Yes, I've, I've got that the, one. Have you got that? When he rescued the ancient urns and vases. From the, from the, was it the Caspian Sea? It's extraordinary. I've just got like his head like popping out of the water with his like, like a hippo. and stuff on <laughs> just, it. Just the eyes. It's wonderful. <laughs> so, Chris, it turns out in a really weird world that, you know, Malcolm Tucker is the good guy. Essentially. Okay, so <laughs> Malcolm Tucker is a very complicated character, if you think about it, from a moral point of view. Yeah. Because actually, the, the problem... I mean, he's, he is a monster. It, uh, there's no question about that. He's a terrible, terrible human being. He treats people in an appalling way, and the atmosphere that he creates is toxic, and, that, and the behaviour is toxic. He would argue that it, what he is doing is for the, for the, good, the greater good. Yeah. He represents... In our fictional world, the party that is nearest to Labour, and he represents therefore the party that is that is most invested in doing social good. So Tucker would say, "I have to do that. I have to be that fucker in order to get the good things done." Yeah, I'm trying to help the idiots do the good things. Yeah. So in that respect, you could argue that he's the good guy. But I always felt one of the things about if you if you go back and think about when we started the thick of it, that's oh, it's. 14 years ago now. And at that point, politics was a very different beast with the, with the exception of the, of the huge ruction of the Iraq war. Everything was very, very placid, really. Nothing much was happening. There wasn't a great deal of difference between the parties, um, which is why the satire starts in you know, a tiny department mm. because it's, it's, a, you know, it's just about the minutiae of, of office life, I suppose, uh, in a political world. So Tucker, at that point, the fact that he's like that in that environment that's why he's so bad, and that's why I always felt that one of the points we were making was you don't have to be like this. Like mm. politics mm. doesn't have to be like this. Now it's completely different. Now I find myself going, Jesus Christ, where is where is Malcolm Tucker? Where mm. are where, yeah. is, where are the people who are? Because the good thing about Tucker was he was he at least understood. He wasn't always able to in, act on this properly, but by and large, he understood what the message was and how to deliver the message. Mm. And I don't feel that at all oh, outside yeah. of the, the very populist approach of Cummings and, um, and the sort of accidental uh, success of the Brexit. Well, Alistair Campbell, I mean, I we, we, la- we laughed at him. But Dominic Cummings, when we look at Dominic Cummings, I think we're, we're a bit scared of him. And I, I wonder, is that because he's on the right? Funny, isn't it? Because when you think about, I mean, I, I assume that Malcolm Tucker is very much based on on uh, Alistair Campbell. Um, Depends who you talk to. <laughs> I, I have always made that assumption. But yeah, like Alistair Campbell. I used to be a member of the Labour Party and Alistair Campbell getting kicked out of the Labour Party sort of made me leave the Labour Party. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, this is bullshit. This is completely ideological. This is... Well, it's the opposite of a broad church, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. That. Whatever you think of him. Your point about, uh, about how just the failure to communicate properly, that is something that I fundamentally agree with. As somebody who has spent the last three years of his life trying to get point, points yeah. made in the, in the proper way, watching politicians repeatedly wet the bed in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the message isn't complicated around Brexit, around the second referendum. It is simple. 
16 million people voted for our current relationship with the EU. 17 people voted for a different one. It hadn't been negotiated when we voted. Therefore, after it's negotiated, given that not all those 17 million people want it, we should have a vote on that deal. It is that simple. Yet we keep talking about, oh, don't you want to think again? No, there's new information now. Look at that. (laughs) Not, you were wrong the first time. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Going back to just briefly what Jen was saying, it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about sort of macho posture and in politics, like it's something that is exclusive to the right. And actually, oh, it's no. not. You get a lot of it on the left. Yes. Um, and I don't want to name names, but we did actually talk about it on last week's podcast, so I will. <laughs> when you get Aisha Hazarika, who's mm. a friend of ours and undoubtedly a force for good in the Labour Party, being told, you know, to leave the Labour Party by Didn't Aaron it. Bastani, who essentially is a, exactly that kind of bullying, mm. posturing yeah. left. It's really upsetting. And I've got to say, if I tweet about sexism on the right if i tweet for example about say jeremy hunt's views on abortion you know or or mm. jacob reeson's views on abortion i might get a couple of dudes say you know i'm gonna go to hell but i look at their profile and i think well that at least is consistent with all the other views you're espousing mm. you know i mean it's bollocks but mm. if i tweet about sexism on the left i am hammered mm. by angry men who that says feminist in yeah. their fucking vials so much it happened worse. to you last week didn't it Jen? yeah the abuse that you get from because we're you know we're pretty open about our political persuasions and um and i will tweet stuff about the right and anti-brexit and blah 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 quite a lot and i don't really ever get any shit for it at all but the only time I really get any shit on Twitter is from the left. Absolutely. Who, like, I said this on the podcast last week, I was sticking up for Aisha Hazarika and I was variously told that I had never, from people who obviously I'd never met, I didn't know at all, I'd never faced financial difficulty. I hated disabled people yeah. and um, I supported war crimes. <laughs> Just the, like, what's wrong with you? The kindest um, explanation for it is that they... Their their view is we have to do everything we can to get these terrible people away and get our people near the levers of power. So shush, shush, shush. That's the that's the kindest version. And I'm sure that's yeah. probably what they think. Well, they're not looking very hard at what their own actual response to these things but are, what? because I think it is deeper than that. I think it is. Deep, I think the left has a real problem with particularly sexism, but there are clearly prejudices that exist in left-wing circles. What I think is interesting about that is, um, so the the kindest way of looking at it, you say, is that basically they're like, we have to get these awful Hmm. people out. And that is why I've basically, you know, I was massively pro-Corbyn. I was really, really into it. When I was a member of the Labour Party, I voted for him to be leader twice. And now I'm like, do you know what? It was a nice idea. The experiment hasn't worked. And it's quite clear for everyone to see that the experiment hasn't worked. And because it is so important that we get these people out, it's time to try something new. So it's interesting to me that there's this faction of people Mm. on the really, really hard left edge of things who sort of like seem to be coming at it like the same thing but with a complete absence of evidence in fact yeah. also i think it's also part of the part of our modern disease is that particularly on the left we're very bad at this is uh we make the perfect the enemy of the good all the time mm. and the truth is there is no perfect you will never get it forget it mm. you have to be mature about this and and approach things with the sense of okay what is our re- what can we realistically achieve mm. and how can we realistically 
achieve that. There is no glory in being an opposition, none whatsoever, because what, do you, what can you do? Actually, actually, that's, I'm, I'm massively simplifying there because look at Jess Phillips, look at Stella Creasy, look mm-hmm. at these phenomenal uh, constituency MPs who work their asses off to make real differences in people's lives. So undoubtedly that, that, that does exist. But those wonderful women would be doing that anyway, I suspect. I'd yeah. rather have them next to the levers of power where they can do things in a really wholesale way. And if that means that we have to, you know, just sort of calm down a little bit so that we can appeal in a, more, in a broader way, then fantastic, let's, let's do that. That's, that's how Labour manages to get in power, except when there's been seven, six years of world war. Yeah. I, th- I think on the failures of the left is that we need to avoid the snowflake uh, accusation, and that can be done so easily, and that is by calling out what is okay as much as we call out what isn't okay. Okay. Th- and, and, that, and that is my point, because, for example, I once went to a gay pride rally. Uh, I was wearing a rainbow T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, I, was, I found out that I got photographed and appeared in an article in a gay magazine. Mm-hmm. And so I made a Facebook post saying, oh, guess I'll be single for a while. Um, uh, and I had some friends tell me that I was enabling or normalizing homophobia. Uh-huh. Right. I was literally at a gay pride rally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is the point. The idea that you can't joke about a sensitive topic yes. should disappear. Yeah. Now, that's really interesting because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this whole, say, hashtag punch in Nazi, mm. which has been quite widely embraced by, you know, people on the left saying every time you get a video of Richard Spencer being punched in the face that everyone's like, hey, and I can kind of see the fun in it, you know, throwing the milkshakes, all of that. That said, you've had stuff thrown at you in the street. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is a result of the language around that we're using around violence? So straight up, uh, the violence thing, this is something we need to be really, really clear on. It's not a left versus right thing. Mm. You're either a decent person that communicates yeah. with their words or you're a scumbag who uses violence to communicate their political points. That is it. Um, the idea that, that it's exclusively on the left or exclusively on the right is, is just not helpful to the conversation. And yeah, uh, I called out when, when Farage, Farage and Tommy Robinson were milkshaked, because, especially with the Tommy Robinson video, because that was obvious. He immediately responded with violence. He punched the guy who threw the milkshake at him. So the, it is a slippery slope. And especially given the events of 2016, if we don't draw that line, the, ability, the likelihood of escalation is there. We've saw, we saw it in 2016. There's very little nuance to violence. No. It's hard to be <laughs> subtle uh, with a punch. The most toxic version of everything that's happening yeah. now, right, which is, which is the oppositional stuff I was talking about earlier, yeah. you, can't, you can't punch your argument into somebody. Mm. That's not, you can yeah. defeat them, but you can't punch your argument into them. That's not a thing. So, it's not how it works. It, yeah, it's not how it works. And ev- in every way, we need to be pulling back from that combative. Um, approach yep. and be more nuanced, be be more discursive, all of those kinds of things. It's really, really, really hard to do, and I am failing every day. But it's it's very important that we yeah. get that. Yeah. It's a simple matter of strategy. I mean, when I uh, got Nigel Farage to admit that the EU has controls on immigration, I, I hurt him more than a thousand punches would have done. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's a very good point. If we look over to America, Democratic primary is going on, um, and it's an incredibly diverse field. There's several women, there's several people of colour, it's an openly gay man. I mean, you can kind of feel the hope flooding back into your body. And yet, 
at the same time, <laughs> a lot of the polls and a lot of the media suggest that what the Democratic primary is is a race between two white guys mm-hmm. in their 70s. I find it absolutely staggering that progressive people, it, certainly in America, would rather vote for someone who wants to empower women and minorities rather than, you know, <laughs> cut out the middleman and yeah. just vote for the women and minorities. Yeah. And I know you shouldn't vote for someone just because they're mm-hmm. gay or just because they're a woman and all of that. But you've spent some time in liberal America, Chris. Do you think um, America is ready for a woman in charge? I think everywhere's ready for a woman in charge. <laughs> Blessed relief. Although I, I always say that, and then I think, oh yeah, Mrs. Thatcher. But, um, <laughs> oh, and the last one, one, one woman, one woman argument mm. against the whole thing. But, yeah. but, uh, n- well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a question of whether liberal America's ready for it so much as whether the rest of America is, because people, though, in in choosing the candidate, they're not just choosing the candidate that they want. They're choosing who they think will will appeal yeah. when it gets to the general election, which is the weird part of their of their system because their elections go on for years. Yeah. And this whole process that happens, you know, it, it happens every four years to at least one of the parties, quite often to both of the parties. Um, this in, this enormously protracted thing, it's, re- it's really easy just to sort of start to think of it as an election, and it isn't an election. It's a it's a selection. It's a it's the choosing of a, of a candidate. So there are those th- those aspects to it where I think the 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 selectorate are thinking about um, how they appeal. How are they going to get those swing voters back from Trump? How are they going to get those people back? Uh, and that's that's a large part of it. Which and it's far more complicated than that because I, I don't doubt there there are elements of of um, Sexism and uh, and just simple conservatism in the, yeah. in the choices they're making. I mean, there is an absolutely glorious moment in Vape. I have to say, um, where I mean, it's glorious because because you know it's Vape, but also it's <laughs> glorious because it's true, which is when Amy and Selena have a huge fight mm. because Amy says to her. If you fuck this up, you fuck this up for all women. Yeah. You don't just fuck it up for yourself. You know, you fuck yeah. it up for everybody. And yeah. never a truer word, I think, said in comedy. That's depressingly and remains true. I mean, yeah. here we are. You know, we've just had a terrible female prime minister. Do you feel inspired by Theresa May? Do you know what? I actually, I wanted to mention her earlier because I'd, uh, I've said this before as well. But um, this idea of these sort of strong men or whatever, I think... Now, just to caveat this very heavily with <laughs> don't agree with any of her politics. I find her to be generally quite awful and did not agree with what she was doing as Home Secretary, but she was quite a competent Home Secretary. I mean, you know, Adolf Hitler was competent. Yeah. But, like, she... But when she became Prime Minister, it just, like... It just absolutely crumbled. And I think she got such a hard time from the public, from the press, from the Conservative Party. And it was all framed very much around, like, she's weak. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's crying again. She's, like, you know, doing this, that and the other. And she doesn't strike me as a particularly weak person. (laughs) Like, I, I just... I don't find her inspiring at all, to answer your question, no. But I do think that... She just got the shittest time of it, yeah. and they've they voted through essentially her bill yeah. uh, and when a man put it forward, and it seems that, quite simple when you look at it like that. That is that is essentially it. I mean, for, for starters, her deal, Boris Johnson's deal. I mean, <laughs> I even joked before 
uh, woman does 95% of the work, of the work <laughs> man does 5%, name of the man goes on the piece of work. It's yeah, now yeah, Boris yeah. Johnson's Always, yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is ridiculous, but it got voted through because it literally had a Johnson attached to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, as for um, the other thing, uh, Theresa May was called weak throughout her prime ministership, yeah. mm. whereas Boris Johnson lost about, what was it, six votes yeah. in the space of the first couple of weeks, and yet nobody even mentioned the word nope. weak. Yeah. He, in, in the first couple of weeks of Boris Johnson's prime ministership, but Jeremy Corbyn passed more laws than him, yet yeah. he wasn't called weak. Yeah, yeah. 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 But also her reputation as Home Secretary was very much that she was tough. Like, she was standing up to the police. She was doing this. She was doing that. She was sending vans around telling people to go home. What a lovely time. Um, no, but, like, she had a reputation for being, yeah. like, quite ballsy, quite tough. And yeah. all of a sudden, oh, she's just so weak. She yeah. can't stop crying. Well, it, it does actually make sense because... The Brexiteer narrative was that we're the fifth largest economy in the world, we'll dominate Europe, they need us more than we need them. But the reality of the situation is you've got one country negotiating negotiating against 27 countries, including a country that is the fourth largest economy in the world. Um, And so rather than accept that, oh, wait, hang on, maybe we've picked a fight that we just can't win, let's say that the weakness lies with the prime minister, who happens to be a woman, rather than the concept of Brexit as a whole. Be interesting to see how that narrative, you know, what what the narrative around, because it's not that he's not going to sort it out. He's not going to solve it because, as you said earlier, it's going to take ten years of negotiating whatever trade deals. Even if we get that far, which I'm deeply sort of Mm -hmm. skeptical about our ability to even get that far. Mm -hmm. But um, it will be interesting to see, assuming that basically the Tories stay in power after the general election Mm. Um, (laughs) vote tactically kids (laughs) vote tactically but if that happens it will be interesting to see what that narrative is how you know how how are we going how is the public the press whatever how are they going to respond to that yeah so uh, the way the way this just happens is the regret in the country will be huge the moment people realise that Boris Johnson is back off to Brussels after um, after winning the election. After we've left, the, after he left the EU officially, but Boris Johnson is still spending his time negotiating with the EU, and that it will go on for years. The regret in the country will be huge from leavers who wanted this, who thought that this was a way to get Brexit done. They didn't want to spend the next five years negotiating with the EU, and it is a a nightmare that doesn't end. The biggest barrier to trade is having different laws. So the only thing you can guarantee with Brexit is that we'll no longer have a say over the laws of a market, which will always be our main market because geography is a thing. No. So, so there's literally no way out of it. I didn't realize uh, how much trade goes through Dover. <laughs> <laughs> but the difficulty is exactly the kind of sort of anger that we've been talking about, mm. that kind of macho, that, that, that is the worst group to be reacting to something not being how they thought it was going to mm. be. Yeah. People say to me about you all the time that you seem like a really nice guy. Mm. And there's still men in the world that would take that as an as an insult or as a sign of weakness, isn't there? Do you know, <laughs> that's kind of the problem, yeah. isn't it? That actually being nice, being reasonable, being being not angry mm. is actually something we kind of, or in, at the minute we don't seem to be valuing as much as. Yeah, I mean, people occasionally, I mean, 
look at the ability to make oneself vulnerable as a weakness, whereas I see the ability to make oneself vulnerable as, as a strength. Mm. It means that you are confident enough in the core of who you are that you're willing to expose yourself in that way. Um, so I, yeah, th- that that is part of the toxic masculinity that you need to be show bravado be, regardless of the situation, and I just think it's it's not helpful. It really it shows weakness in my view. It's also it it's very simple, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't require a lot of thought. It doesn't require concentration or time um, to figure things out in a, in a, again, a more nuanced way. The thing about strength and weakness is it's completely binary. And so it's very appealing because it's, it's, it, that's an, it's a nice, lazy approach to stuff. Yeah. Jen, do you uh, do you think being nice is, is, is becoming undervalued in society? I think it's always been undervalued, don't you? I think it's kind of, I think nice is seen as a feminine trait. Yeah. And the world I mean we know what the world thinks about feminine traits so I think it's always been undervalued there's what's that saying like nice guys finish last or something like that I just I think it's always existed I mean there was somebody on the news that recently said Boris Johnson's a liar but he's my liar or basically praising <laughs> That's for it. a really smart way of looking. Yeah. <laughs> that's because everything is very, it's very tribal, isn't it? It's yeah. So every, everything is, is turned into this weird ideology, this weird kind of my side, your side. Yep. Yeah. And there was always an element of that, certainly. But I think, I suppose back back in the day, three years ago, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we would think in terms of, if you identify with a political party, you never identify with everything no. about that political party. I've always voted Labour, and uh, there have been things about Labour that drove me absolutely mad at the time that they were in, in power mm. and generally doing good stuff. There were still things that, that I that mm. didn't sit well with me at all. And unless you're... A, some kind of unless you're very lucky or or you have some sort of weird sociopathic condition you you're yeah. not going to agree with absolutely everything in the broad church that you have mm-hmm. sort of you have adopted but now we're not even talking about that stuff now it's the, it's my my thing which it's, it, we're talking about an existential crisis which is in or out it's completely binary choice yeah. everything has been reduced to sort of mm-hmm. simplistic mm-hmm. Uh, ap- approaches to things so there is no the, there is no need for anything other than Shouting and and yeah. uh, you're I don't care how bad you are you're on my side you're fundamentally <laughs> yeah. trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do mm-hmm. which is a version actually of who those men are um, who attack you for um, for supporting somebody and they were all men yeah mm, excuse me by the way they were all men how can we be sure that they weren't women who had actually <laughs> set up accounts <laughs> as men because I'm sure that's happening I'm sure that is happening guys probably. Uh, probably I mean you know obviously women can be arseholes as well just yeah. call yourself Dave put a picture of an Arsenal player in your, in your bio and uh, there you go uh, but yeah but tweet there's, away there's just no you're right there's no such thing as nuance anymore is there it's, yeah. well there isn't but at the same point, what I've been quite sort of interested in in the last couple of years is how many people who I had made a decision about in life that yeah. I've been forced to reassess by their behaviour in recent like years in a for good way. and for bad. Okay. A lot of them in a positive way. Can like say, let's take for example John Major, yes, who yes, I yeah. did not like when he was our, our prime minister, yeah. but now I would more than happily go for a pint with and talk about the state <laughs> of the world. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, as soon as I just, I found myself missing David Cameron. Yeah. 
I found myself. We know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to find him. It's Feeling like up. really nostalgic. <laughs> like, but, there's, oh. but there's been some quite sort of, I don't know, old, uh, like oh, kind Michael of Hesseltine. good old fashioned. Yes, like, yeah. Ken yeah. Clark, you yes. know, Nick Bowles. There's lots of, pe- lots of men I've come to admire, weirdly. I marched against Ken Clark. I came down <laughs> uh, from Birmingham where I studied. I came down on a coach I, to, uh, when he took housing uh, grants away from students. We came and we demonstrated against him and he was... I, I, the fury, the white hot <laughs> hatred that we had for him when he was education secretary, uh, you know, under uh, that would have been un, under major, wouldn't it? I suppose. Uh, and but but now you know there he is being eminently reasonable. The same thing. I was at a, a, a rally at the end of one of the. Uh, people's vote marches and there's Heseltine on the screen and all these people cheering Michael Heseltine's thinking yeah. he closed the mines <laughs> he closed the mines <laughs> what are you doing but, uh, but, and yet I was going yes Michael yes represent <laughs> it was mad the reason why it's gotten tribal now is because unlike before when uh, you could be a member of the Labour Party it was never an intrinsic part of your identity Whereas right now, the concept of Remainer and Lever is, is, is a lot... I mean, I most think you could I vote Labour without it being a part of your identity, yeah. but yeah. I don't think you could be a, a member of a party without so, it being so, yeah, part sorry, of your identity. Sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. Uh, you could be... a Labour voter wasn't necessarily be... Right. Parts, whereas anybody who votes Remain or anybody who votes Leave, you're a Lever and you're a Brexiteer. Right. Uh, and that is a... That is a very loud part of who you are. And because the argument's gone on for so long, because you constantly have to say, I'm a Brexiteer, I'm a Remainer, it now means that anytime anybody questions the concept of Brexit in any sort of way, it's yeah. questioning who you are and you take it personally. Right. Or if you're a Remainer, anybody who questions Remain, it's again taken personally. And therefore, that element of, of tribalism is just much, much louder within the conversation. And it's why I did kind of love what we saw after Boris Johnson got his deal. Because it very much confused the narrative in a way in which people with a tribal mindset didn't really understand. Mm. Because you have your one side, you have your other side, it's like a football match. And then suddenly they were seeing uh, Nigel Farage, who they thought was on their team, blocking goals from going into the other net. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, Nigel Farage at one point looked like he was Aria turning up right at the minute to put the sort of put, put the knife in Brexit, yeah. and you were like, "Who to thunk it? Yeah. It, was, it might be Farage that actually sinks this deal." Because Bar- Bar- Nigel Farage is literally on tape saying, in a referendum between Boris Johnson's deal and Remain, Remain wins that referendum every single time, which means that he has said our exact argument for us, <laughs> uh, but because he wants his particular version of Brexit, but yet they're on the same tribe. I think that I do think that there is a growing number of people though and I count myself as one of these people who's kind of like things are so stupid now things are so crazy that I'm not even that wedded to how I initially voted I just want to see us get out of this with the least amount of damage possible there's definitely an element of that um uh and that and we're counting on that from Libras and Remainers uh, from Libras and Remainers alike Unfortunately, it's being manipulated by Boris Johnson with his "get Brexit done" narrative. The well, idea. that's bullshit. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't. So, like, from my perspective, I voted Remain. I very much want to remain. If we voted again, I would vote the same way. But if we have to leave, mm-hmm. can we just do it in a sensible way? And that doesn't mean let's just leave with no deal. Let's yeah. just get it done. Mm-hmm. That means can we like negotiate something that's like okay. But that is the ultimate problem. I mean, if there was a compromise, we would have found it by now. 
if we leave the single market, a system which means that anything made in the UK is automatically legal to sell across the EU, meaning that it makes sense to base businesses here, it makes sense for the purposes of European distribution, Mm. then the UK will financially suffer significantly. But what I thought the sort of compromise was basically what everyone thought Brexit would be when we first started this absolute shit show Mm. was that basically we would leave the EU and then we would pay like more than we did before to basically have the same rights and privileges yeah um, but like I said if you're essentially that means staying in the single market because um, the fact that you have common shared laws the fact that anything made here is legally legal to sell across the EU if you're doing that, it means mm. you're following the rules of the EU, but you no longer oh, no, have a say in them. absolutely ultimately be in a worse position, yeah. Yeah. but it would be better than, like... Define better. Know. If you've got, if we ended up in that position, the Brexiteers would hit the absolute roof. Um, know, because yeah. they wanted more control, they would end up with objectively less control. But well, they so can't have what they I, want. I think you look at, I look at Brexiteers and I think, I actually don't think we've got anything for you. I don't yeah. think anything is going to satisfy no, no, you. So we might as well give you nothing. And then you can have the satisfaction of feeling really fucked over. Because halfway is not going to, you're still going to feel no, yeah, bad. That, that is the main thing about Brexit. If, as, I, as I said before, 16 million people voted for our, our current relationship with the EU. 17 million people voted for a different one without saying what it was. Yeah. And we've clearly seen they wanted different and incompatible outcomes, meaning that it's mathematically impossible to please 52%. And if you cannot please 52%, you've got 48% that want a very clear thing. Yeah. Now, this all sounds quite negative, so I, I kind of have a final Great. question. You both managed to go around your day-to-day business without being total dicks. Um, so it's possible. You know, it is possible. Chris doesn't look quite so sure. Mm-hmm. But... I'm now, it's, sure too, it's too much account. of a question to say, how do, how do we change the narrative, I think? But who, who do you think has responsibility for changing the narrative on, you know, how we speak to each other, how we communicate with each other in <laughs> politics at the moment? Uh, it, it is twofold. It's young influencers uh, and it's politicians at the top. So it's Boris Johnson and basically the people who young people respect. Uh, because there's going to be an element of um, a certain age group will be ingrained in terms of the way they speak to each other, and it's not, and yeah. it's not going to change. It's learned behaviour, isn't it? Um, uh, and so we're essentially working on either it's either going to be Boris Johnson that makes that really tones down the narrative and gets us all speaking politely to each other, or it's going to be people, young influencers. I think it's interesting because you do see it bleeding into like loads of different aspects of. So, like for example, all of the stuff about racism in football mm. that's been going on at the moment, and everyone's like, "Well, what we need to do is we need to make Twitter more accountable." It's like, do we need to make Twitter more accountable, or do we need to make our politicians more accountable? Do we need to have a prime minister that doesn't compare Muslim women mm. to letterboxes mm. and use like racist colonial language? Maybe do we need that if we want mm. people to stop? saying shit like this I don't know Sorry. yeah I mean t- Twitter does seem to be very much geared towards especially if you get to sort of the nastier side of Twitter where you think Jesus there's loads of people like running accounts that basically are about paedophilia there's a lot of porn bots there's lots yeah. of horrible stuff on Twitter and yet at the same time you'll find that that <laughs> women showing a bit of your body that Twitter deems to be, it can be taken down. Mm. So it, certainly the algorithm seems to, seems to be aligned against reasonable debate and towards, like, mm. you know, the more extreme. You all look... I'm genuinely telling you there's a lot of sites out there for, um, for communities that I wonder what the fuck they're doing on Twitter. 
Oh, oh, I, I think they're just letting the side down. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not. I couldn't even watch that because I thought it was, I watched The Crown instead, which is like a terrible thing to do, rather than watch that interview. Oh no. I no, watched a couple of episodes of The Crown. I, <laughs> as a, as a died in the wall Republican, <laughs> get them out. I love The Crown. And I don't know why. It, it shouldn't. I, like I, I avoided it for so long because I thought this is so clearly not for me. And then yeah. I, I think there's a lot of great British actors. Like like we get the very well made. Ashford is, is being Barbara Castle. Um, it's great. Start at the beginning. I mean, it's, it has a lot of exceptional. I mean, it's it's unbelievably well made. It's Kathy really Bird good. Loves it. Yeah, she yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. It is good. I think the 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 most to me as a as a man. Well, more more than that, actually, as a as a straight white middle aged middle class man, the most interesting thing personally about Brexit has been this has been, and I wonder how many other people who are in the, in the same sort of demographic as me would feel this. This is the first time I felt out of control of something. So even in the, even in the days when, uh, you know, Mrs. Thatcher was in power, the long, like I sort of, I became kind of politically aware around the miners' strike in the, in the early mid-80s. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and I, I was at a private school and I was surrounded by Tories and I was... <laughs> died in the wool labor at that point i felt very lonely for a very a very long time i was fighting uh you know and demonstrating all those sorts of things and then mrs thatcher went and then john major this years these 18 years of tory government i remember them extremely well and and even then even then i felt less like i didn't have control in the way that in in the way that i do now because there was always the chance of change you know there was always the chance of of a of a reversal we were always fighting to get somebody near the levers of power who we felt would do the right job but this this is the first time anyone has taken a specific thing of mine part of my identity and gone you can't have that anymore that's not yours that's that that thing where you identify yourself as being european you can't have that that. So yeah. we have made that decision for you. And it's such an interesting thing to happen to somebody in, in my position because because as a straight white uh, in a middle aged uh, uh, m- middle class man, I don't that doesn't happen to me. I don't get challenged like that. And I think it's really interesting. And I wonder how much how much and in what ways other people have felt like they've been spun off balance and uh, and are off kilter a little bit and I wonder how much that is contributing yeah. to the, the, the debate at the moment in that there's something that you can't quite articulate that is happening to you that is a sensation entirely new to certain sections of the population who are used to getting their way yeah. and used to being listened to by the way um, and I, I wonder how much of that is fueling That's really interesting. what's going on. I think there's a lot of that about, sorry I, um, I think there's a lot of that you know I think I feel that as well as like a yeah. white middle class person. Like, why? Why? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are all these people like making me not have a I, red re- passport? Or I'm really scared that at some point I'm going to end up English, and I I don't. I mean, it's bad enough that I'm not a European, but I do have genuine fears that I, you know, I'm not going to be a resident of the United Kingdom. I'm going yeah, to be. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be. Well, I'm not because I'll be mm. Irish then. Because mm. I'll just. Mm. I'll just. I mean, my grandparents. This is a crazy thing. My grandparents came here you know, for a better life from Ireland. They would be amazed at how many of us are filling in the paperwork <laughs> to go back, yeah. essentially. I mean, it's, it's staggering. Yeah, but and, and, and doesn't that speak to the idea of your, your identity being 
being well the fact that it's fungible is an extraordinary yeah. idea like we mm. never thought that that was a possibility you are who you are that's that you you know part of that is how you you know how you are brought up and where you are brought up and part of that is how you fashion yourself as a as a young adult and the, and and then the, but and the idea for some of us for for the 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 privileged like me to to find that yes actually no it doesn't work like that and you 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 might have to f- try and find another shore is an extraordinary one well, nobody I, I mean and nobody was even thinking it, it's not like we had a run up to this we smashed into this wall yeah. at great speed mm. three years ago yeah well I mean the timing of the Maastricht Treaty in 1992. Mm. That's the treaty that created the concept of EU citizenship. So EU citizenship became an identity yeah. in 1992, which means that everyone born after 1974, mm-hmm. the only identity they've ever had as an adult was being both a British and EU citizen. Right, yeah, yeah. And that is the precise crossover point for voting Leave or Remain. So it is, those, that it is, it is, those, it is those who voted Remain. So I have a question about this that maybe so. you have an answer for Femi because you know about the law and stuff why isn't this why isn't this a legal issue why isn't it a human rights issue that someone has just said right I'm taking your citizenship away from you because it is my citizenship it says on my passport that I am an EU citizen why isn't that a legal issue well, it, it's legal. Um, you, you, the ability to take rights away it happens. It happens all the time. It's immoral. I'll, I say it's definitely immoral. The idea that thirty-seven percent of the population can choose to, to remove the rights of the rest—it's astonishing when you when you mm. when you frame it like that. It's absolutely staggering. Right yeah. now, any Brit, any Brit has the automatic right to live, work, and love yeah. in thirty-one countries across the EU. Has the right to um, claim refuge in an, in the embassy of any EU country anywhere in the world. Those rights simply vanish because thirty-seven percent of the population decided that it should go from the rest of the country. But of course, and of course, the truth is that they didn't. That's not what <laughs> yeah, most yeah. of those people thought they were doing at all. They had no, no notion of it because there's no proper uh, debate, no, no informed or has that word again nuanced debate was ever ever held. Yeah. I mean, the only people who tried to do that was, you know, on that on the occasion there was that one debate where Ruth Davidson was basically battling for everybody else mm. as far as I could make out. But it's interesting the thing you say about control because yeah. literally the only person that I know that voted to leave mm. that I actually had a conversation with them about their, you know, motives. Nigel Farage. Uh, <laughs> uh, was actually My godfather. <laughs> was actually my dad. Um yeah, who 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 has subsequently died. I mean the irony of, of that. But, Are you trying to draw a, <laughs> a cause and effect? <laughs> no, well we didn't kill him. But um we what I find interesting is I think if when I look at him at the point he was in his life. Yes. You know, he How just, old was he at that he point? Was, he, he was he was sixty eight, he retired, yeah. not because he wanted to, but through through mm. ill health. His children thought they knew what was best for him. His wife thought they knew she knew what was best for him. His doctors thought they knew. And I think he genuinely voted to leave because he wanted to make a decision that was just his. And I, I kind of, when I look at that, that sort of stereotypical man that's raging in the back row of question time, mm-hmm. I kind of do sort of see a similar thing. Mm. A thing of, you know, I just... I'm constantly being told what to do and what to think by younger people, but you know, by my kids, mm. and I want some control over my life. And I mean, thanks, Dad. <laughs> that didn't particularly work out well. But I think it was a vote as much against me almost as it was against Europe, if yeah. that makes sense. But I mean, uh, it's one of those arguments that that gets me particularly vexed. 
because they say that yes, we'll be we'll be poorer, but uh, I wanted to take back control. I have this certain ideology, and it's been arguments being put by people who are significantly older than me. Um, who essentially that logic means I want your generation to pay higher price than I'm willing to pay for values that you don't hold. It's yeah. not just older people, though. I think. Oh like no, it's definitely not. But yeah. like I say, with my dad, he mm. seems to. It's also dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just, uh, just really awful ones. Um, Basket no, of deplorables. No, 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 it's, it's, it's emotional, isn't it? That's the point. Is yes. that yeah. it's, it's an emotional reaction to something that actually has like quite sort of practical <laughs> sort of. Um, Ramifications? Implications, yes. That, you know, for our sort of day-to-day lives and, mm. and whatever. But it's, yeah, it's just, it's mad. Um, I think we're going to have to call an end to this. Much as I am having the time of my life talking about this. Femi, where can people find you, A, and B, what's your best bit of advice for, for still for attempting to stop Brexit if people want so to do that? So you can find me at Femi underscore sorry on Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my advice to everybody listening right now is to find at least five people who aren't currently registered to vote and get them registered. That is gov.uk forward slash register hyphen to hyphen vote. Uh, the other advice is you need to vote tactically. If in five years time we are still negotiating with the EU and Donald Trump, which is the most likely thing because it took us three and a half years to negotiate a 12-month transition period. How long do you think it will take us to negotiate our long-term relationship with the EU? And if that happens and we're still stuck in this, you will not be able to live with yourself if you felt that you couldn't handle this politician for a couple of years. Chris, what are you up to? You must have some creative project on the go that we can get excited about. Um, I am just in the middle, well, just finishing the first series of a, a new sitcom, with, um, uh, which I've made with uh, Martin Freeman and Daisy Haggard and wow. Simon Blackwell, which is a, a bleak sitcom about parenting called uh, Breeders, which is uh, going nice. in, uh, on Sky here in FX uh, in the States. Excellent. Um, uh, so we just, yeah, we're, ju- we're just colouring in uh, series one and we're just uh, see, having figure, sitting down to figure out what we'll do if they ask us to do another one. That sounds exciting. We've got fun. Daisy Haggard at our next live show. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. She is one of life's genuinely great humans. She's phenomenal. I mean, Excellent. She's an astonishingly well. She's just brilliant on all on all counts. She's an astonishing actress, but she's just a great human. My advice to you is get as many. And I, 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 I know you, you're going to. When I say this, you're going to have an idea in your head, and you'll think it'll be enough. It won't be enough. Treble what you've got in your head. As many crisps, packets of different <laughs> kinds of crisps as you possibly can. <laughs> Uh, for 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 dating, you say that. Uh, do you know what? I'm kicking myself because I meant to stop and buy you some popcorn earlier. Because that's <laughs> that's that's how you usually get Femi talking is just, just provide the popcorn. Okay. Thank it's you it. both so much for being in, um, being Thanks. such fine specimens of manhood on Thanks. the day before International Men's Day. Thanks for having us. It's quite an honour to be allowed to on, on this podcast. So thanks for you know, opening. Up Thank you for complimenting my manhood. <laughs> <laughs> Standard issue for all women.